Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in the 19th verse. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So we missed a VLL broadcast last week. That's why the week before I uploaded uh, two special uploads and everything. I knew last week I was going to be super stinking busy. But that gave me a lot of time last week to think about how much the church needs to be reformed. The Lutheran church needs its own reformation. And, you know, I thought at first about talking about that how important that is, and I think I'm going to go ahead and table it for next week. Because this week, well, we have a little bit bigger of a fish to fry. Let's talk death. <laughs> it's on everybody's mind whether or not they want to admit it. We play video games where various creatures or people die. We watch war movies where people die. We consume content where death is considered funny. But then we also watch dramas and sad movies where death is just the absolute worst thing to happen. It's on everybody's mind. They're just not willing to admit it. If you put your seatbelt on before you start your car, it means you're probably thinking about death just a little bit. You want to be safe from it. And of course, since humanity started dying after we were expelled from Eden, People have had a lot of thoughts on death. People have absolutely thought way too much about this. It's a bad thing, absolutely. It is very sad. It is a curse. It is a punishment put upon our flesh for the original sin in the Garden of Eden. But boy, howdy, do people get obsessed with it. If you look at the numbers of skeletons out there in the Paris catacombs in France, uh, it's upwards of 5 million. Millions and millions of bones, skulls, macabre little walls and things of skulls that uh, various monks and Roman Catholics had, and they designed it as something of a memento mori. Remember that you too shall die. Et in Arcadia ego. Here am I too. Oh yes, death is everywhere. And oh my gosh, people think about it so stinking much. We have loved ones that we miss, but then some people think about it a little bit more than that. We have people that we know that died that we wished they didn't die. We lament the unjust or untimely ways in which they die. It is very scary and very sad. But this obsession with death, oh my goodness, dudes staring at corpses or tombs, People uh, creating entire movements like the goth movement where death is this gigantic primal role within it. We focus on it too much. 
Now, here in America, you might not hear that. You might hear your pastor complain about how in America nobody says die. We're, we're all pretending that the party is just going to keep on going. We all think we're going to live forever, and how silly is that? We're going to hear that sort of stuff, but as a pastor, let me tell you, I actually like that. What is the Christian response to death? <laughs> Shouldn't we have thought about this? Shouldn't we have created some sort of packaged response from the scriptures? Sure, people in the church have thought about death for a very long time. Like I said, the Paris catacombs, I think those were built primarily by the church. Monks everywhere have talked about death, probably because they don't get out much. There are various monasteries where every single day, some uh, big monk will tell his little monks underneath him, saying, oh, remember that you will die. Okay, so... Is that really the Christian response, guys? When we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, St. Paul is talking about a resurrection. He's talking about how Christ has won eternal life for everybody. Yes, at one point, unless Christ comes back before that, I am going to shed this mortal coil. But shouldn't I look at this through the lens of law and gospel and the third use of the law, just like I look at, well, everything else in scripture. Shouldn't I look at it as, yes, we do die. Um, again, unless Christ comes back first, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave this meat sack, this maggot sack, as Luther called it, and I will eventually find my abode within the throne room of God with all of the other saints in the church victorious. Yes, my sin did that. I'm going to die. But then wait a second. Death is not the end. It is not a period. It is a comma in the sentence of your life. Your life is one giant, eternal, run-on sentence. It never ends. And death is the one punctuation mark in that entire sentence. It's just a comma. Maybe, just maybe, there's a semicolon for the resurrection. But all bad metaphors aside, is death really the end? No. So can I look at death and instead of accepting it sadly, we're all gonna die, everything's terrible. <laughs> instead of that, can I smile knowing that Jesus Christ has rendered death toothless to me? That its threat then hangs over everybody's head is now a paper tiger, because I have eternal life. The party gets paused. It doesn't really end. I believe that good Bible-believing Lutherans should celebrate that. We should not live as though everything is going to end the moment the little pulse meter goes beep, and, you know, just keeps going, and everybody's like, oh, clear, Oh, no, it doesn't work. He's dead. No, no, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live in the victory that Christ has given us. I am going to live as though I am going to live forever. Of course, keeping in mind that, yes, I'm going to drop the maggot sack at some point. Yes, I should leave something for my children. I should have some sort of life insurance policy. I should have some sort of savings built up so that my family and our families can all live off of that for a while and have a final blessing from their dad. Okay, we should do that. 
but I'm not going to act as though death is my master, because Jesus is. Now about that, though, I mentioned the third use of the law. Should Christians see death as the cruel, terrible master, the evil fate that awaits us, that is what we deserve for our sins? Well, kind of. Should Christians live as though they are never going to die? Because after all, it is a fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it is a fact that Christ will return, and it is a fact that Christ will bring us back from the dead, and we baptized believers in Jesus Christ will enjoy eternal life. Well, yes, but wait, there's more. <laughs> it's that balance. But then we forget that third part. What is the third use of the law? The law as guide. The law as friend. You see, before Christ, the law, Moses, is my enemy. He tells me that I'm evil, that I'm going to die, that I deserve death and hell, that I am a slave to the devil, the pied piper of all damned souls. The law beats me up and tells me I suck. The law tells me what to do, and sure, I want to do what the law says, but then the law says, you can't, you big, ugly failure. And then I try, and I fail, and the law, again, puts me through that cycle. Says, you do not qualify, you scumbag. And you know, oftentimes, a lot of the other religions in the world that focus entirely on law, you got to realize a lot of those people, as much as they celebrate the law this and the law that, they're suffering from a kind of Stockholm Syndrome. The law means pain. They just don't want to admit that because they've come to love it. After all, it's written in our hearts. We are all going to, on some limbic level, love the law of God. But boy howdy, do they really love them some law. In fact, they think salvation is through the law, even though that's not the case. So before I become a Christian, I'm damned. Death is my punishment, and the law reminds me of that every single day. But when I become a Christian, knowing that Jesus Christ has, without any merit on my part, single-handedly saved my soul and said, You are now a baptized, believing saint of God Most High. You are slated for eternal life. Yes, the law said these things about you on account of your sin, but your sin is pardoned. What happens to the law? What happens to the law at that point? Well, at that point, the law becomes your friend. The law at that point is going to accuse you when you sin. Oh yes, it will. But it also tells you, hey, you're thankful that Christ died for you, right? You're thankful that he's promised you eternal life, right? And we go, yeah, yeah. And then the law comes up to our side and says, hey, how about we do something good here? How about I give you some ideas on how to please this God that saved your soul? And now I go from a grateful heart. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Jesus saved my soul. Praise God. All right, let's do the right thing from now on. Let's try our best. That's the third use of the law. Uh, law, gospel, and I like to call it response. The rightful, joyful response of the Christian and how they live their life given the facts and wonderful news of the gospel. Now, how does this relate to death? Why am I bringing up law and gospel? Well, if you're strapped for time, let me tell you right now, let me summarize it. The Lutheran way of approaching death is looking death in the eye and saying, not without a fight. Death is a punishment for our sins. 
the gospel removes that punishment. Even though your body may die, you shall live forever. But what do we do with that third use, that response, insofar as it touches on the topic of death? It's now an enemy that we have to fight. And the law helps us to see this. Here is the fifth commandment, you shall not kill, or you shall not murder. Luther puts here in the small catechism, what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. There is a commandment and then there is a mirror commandment for all ten commandments. Uh, if you shall not commit adultery, then the mirror to that is you must be faithful. If you shall not bear false witness to your neighbor, then you should be bearing true and good witness for your neighbor. And when it comes to you shall not kill, how about we also promote life? How about we help our neighbors with their physical needs? Now here's the fun thing about this. If we are told to promote life because of the fifth commandment, that is not just going to apply to our neighbors. That will also apply to ourselves. The two greatest commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do not love yourself, you cannot love your neighbor. So you're expected to also promote you being alive. Now, St. Paul takes this for granted in Ephesians 5 when he says nobody ever hated his own flesh, but I do think we need to be reminded about this, to take care of ourselves, to eat right, to watch out for our heart health, to get our exercise in, all sorts of things like that. Do our stretchies. Fight. Age. Aging is a tool of death. As you get older, your bone density lessens. The elasticity of your muscles gets lessened. Your joints, they get creaky. All sorts of nasty stuff comes with age, and we all look at it as though this is some sort of inevitability when, hey, wait a second, no, this is a tool of death. And if I'm supposed to be promoting life here for myself and my neighbor, then I should be fighting against that. Maybe not with unnatural means, the weird surgeries people get to, to stay pretty or to stay fit, the liposuctions and stuff they get to be skinny again. No, that's, that's vanity. Not fighting against death or age. True fighting against age is in the kitchen, in the gym, or for home workout bros like myself in my living room. <laughs> that's what's going to do it. Checking up on yourself doing all of that stuff, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, being hygienic. These things are all good for stopping age and death, sickness, everything that might happen to us. It makes it last longer. And you can even, when you do get older, you can enjoy your old age with the ability to actually, you know, do stuff, play with your grandkids. Hang out with your daughter-in-law as you're having a girl's night out or something like that. I don't know. It's life. Living your life. Now, why am I saying this? Why is this so important? Well, because this very morning I realized St. Paul calls death an enemy directly. He says the last enemy is death. And that's the final one. That's the final boss. After all, everybody deserves it that is not named Jesus 
Christ. Every human being ever has deserved death. So it's our final enemy. And it seems to have this iron grip over absolutely everything, doesn't it? But if it's Jesus's enemy, shouldn't it be my enemy too? Have we ever really sat down and thought about this? That if Christ says, this is my enemy, then all baptized believers, all people who are members of his kingdom should say, that's my enemy too. Now, of course, there will be plenty of Lutheran pastors out there who just love to tell you, that's, that's right, yeah, it's your enemy. But Jesus is the conqueror, darn it. This isn't about you. Jesus did everything. The gospel is about what Jesus did, not what you do. Well, they're right when they say that, but they're forgetting the third use of the law. We still have the fifth commandment telling us, that's your enemy, fight your enemy. This is why Christians have been the first to establish real hospitals. This is why Christians do charity work. Whenever you feed somebody who is starving, whenever you give a sandwich to a homeless guy who hasn't eaten in three days, you are fighting an enemy. You are fighting death right then and there. You are glorifying God as a soldier in his kingdom that is fighting back the tide of death here on earth. That should be celebrated. That should be considered a solemn responsibility in the church. Thankfully, when it comes to the pro-life movement, we're on point. But we usually frame it in terms of a negative. Look at how many babies are dying. And that's true. It's a tragedy. It's evil. It is a wicked part of our society. And that needs to be banned. Absolutely. But if we've forgotten that, hey, wait a second, pro-lifers like myself should also be seeing this as promoting life. Like, even if pro-abortionist people said, and were able to somehow prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that that fetus is just a clump of cells, and the baby is not a human being until it passes through the birth canal, even if somehow they were able to prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, which they never will, but, you know, humor me here, even if they were able to prove that, it is still in accordance with the fifth commandment in the promotion of life that we fight it. It is still wanting more life than death. It is still wanting a victorious Christian walk here on earth that says we want life. And as much life is out there in the world, that's all the more that we're giving death a black eye. We're standing against it. We are in service of our Lord Jesus Christ, standing against his enemy. Now again, don't get me wrong, for all the Lutheran pastors and theologians out there that are so scared of their own shadow that they're terrified of Christians doing stuff and actually wanting to obey Jesus, uh, yes, Jesus is the one that gives us the final victory against death. Sin, death, and the devil. Death has no sting precisely because Jesus is the one that beats it back. Precisely because he is the one that has ensured that all of us baptized believers are going to be given new bodies. He is the one that will abolish it ultimately. But don't you want to do your part? I mean, maybe I'm sounding just a little bit too uh, pietistic here. But I want to do my part. Because I love that God has granted me this victory over death. I want to mock death. 
I want to live as though I am going to live forever because I know that I am going to live forever. And I want to guard my life against the aging process, against diseases, against all manner of terrible things out there because that is exactly how I tell my enemy, hey, loser, you lost, Jesus won, I can stand against you confidently and live a good life. So even though, yes, if Christ does not return before my timer runs out, I'm kinda gonna die over here. I can still say that I lived my life saying, not without a fight. I lived it living, not dying. I spent that entire time standing up proudly against that enemy because I know that my Savior has promised me something far better than whatever death can do. This is why our Lord Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who can merely kill the body and cannot kill the soul. That's all they can do to you. Death doesn't have this finality to it. So let's fight. Let's do it. Let's love our neighbor as ourselves, including loving ourselves, eating right, seeking medical attention when you need it, doing research if we can, and even spiritual disciplines that the church has always had, like fasting. Guess what? There's a good health benefit there for you. It's really good for you to do some fasting. Now, I'm sure somebody's going to tell me or accuse me of being one of those weirdos who spends millions of dollars and their entire life trying to avoid the fact of dying. No, <laughs> that's not how this is. I promise you I'm not saying that you have to take $500 worth of supplements every single day to try to force yourself to be immortal. I'm not saying you should be a germaphobe that cleanses every single surface with bleach wipes every five minutes to make sure not a single germ can ever touch you. We'd be foolish to do so. we got to realize if it's a fight, well, death is going to win this round when it comes to your body. When it comes to you, St. Paul has said in Romans chapter 6 that when you were baptized, you died already. Your life is hidden away with Christ. But when it comes to the body, to the flesh, yeah, round one, eventually death gets that knockout. We can just be realistic about that and fight defensively, but not hyper-defensively. There's no such thing as a good boxer that never even threw a punch, never put himself at a little bit of risk here. There's no glory in that. You want to put up a good fight against death when it comes to you and your neighbors. Now, the great news, though, is that round two, even after maybe you got knocked around a little bit by death here, Jesus steps in the ring. Vince McMahon is like, oh my gosh, I didn't expect this. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I tagged that guy out. I am going to fight you now. And death is finally going to be defeated entirely. It's career ruined. Can't show its face in public anymore. That's how awesome this is going to be. Now, I want to put on a good show. I want to fight back. I want to do my best. That's how we should look at death. It's an enemy. I'm going to fight it. The church should fight it joyfully. Joyfully, victoriously, knowing that the battle is already won. And we should caution people that the act of letting yourself go, of destroying your health, of not even trying for yourself or for your family or feeding your kids right, well, there's, there's an element of sin in there, so it should be avoided. 
because God has blessed us with this life, may we in turn, well, cherish that blessing and bless others as well. Now, I'd love to hear what y'all think about that. I'm sure that some people from more magisterial denominations might have some words with me about the inevitability of death and everything, how the monks and the eremitics and the theologians of orthodoxy or Catholicism or Anglicanism have always seen it. The Puritans wrote a lot about this stuff too. So by all means, if you got words for me and you'd like to hear a response from your good old pastor friend, please shoot me an email, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. Let's get a conversation going about this. I hope that the church starts having a more positive, energetic, passionate way of going about this. But until then, catch y'all tomorrow for the Dead Sea Scrolls recording. Amen and amen.